Turn with me, please, to the Scriptures. We're going to go to the very beginning of the Bible. The book of Genesis, please. The very beginning of the Bible. The book of Genesis, we're going to look from chapter... Pardon me, just let me get to it. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, please. I'll just get a drink while you're looking it up. Great to see the house filled tonight again. It's encouraging, and the Lord bless you. Genesis chapter 3, beginning to read from verse 1, please. Now the serpent was more subtle. Note that, underline it, understand that. The serpent was more subtle than any piece of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, And ye shall be as gods. Note that as well. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, note that too, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. We know the Lord will add a blessing to that reading of his own precious word. But let's just bow again in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that your word is sure and steadfast. It's an anchor of the soul. We thank you that your word is forever settled in heaven, that your word will not return unto you void. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is secured, secured by your own person, And Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word is freely given to us that we may read and do well. Father, we pray in Jesus' name now that you would shut us in with yourself. Lord, that you would take away distractions. Lord, you take away anything that's been in our mind that would cause us, Lord, to lose concentration on your word and what is said tonight. And we ask you, Father, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, Lord, that you would help me with clay lips, Lord, man of weakness, that you'd help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word, Lord, and to put across that which you have shown me, to break the bread of life onto this people that they may eat and be filled. 
But, O oh God, that they would also, Lord, eat. And, Lord, that they would be wise, not as Eve was thinking to be wise, but wise unto God and the things of the Spirit and of your word. So glorify your name, we pray, this evening. For Jesus' name's sake, we ask it. Amen. I want to speak this evening on a title, and it's a, a big title. It's maybe hard to get uh, your, your tongue around it. And it is called A Refutation of Modernity from the book of Genesis. Let me say it again. A Refutation of Modernity from the book of Genesis. Now, one might say, what on earth is modernity? Well, you see, there is a, a, a teaching that started, in fact, it's right from the very beginning here, that leads into false everything. It's called the deceivership. Deceives people, deceives men, women, youth, children, deceives lives. And we see it in all of our society today. There is Western modernity is more recent, if you want, coming prevalent because we had the scriptures, the word of God to keep our nation, to keep our people. But now we're seeing that we're falling into a deeper died sin than probably anybody else in the face of the whole earth, to be honest. And notice this, the idea of modernity, and I will explain it in a moment. Some people argue, philosophers that is, with more intelligence than me, and who study this in a greater depth than I could ever do, but they actually argue with themselves that modernity started and stopped, pardon me, stopped around the time of the Second World War or the ending of it into the 50s. And now we're in what's known as post-modernity. I will explain it uh, the best I can. So post-modernity is this, that it is an argument between the two. But really when I look at it, I see the modernity has morphed. It has um, evolved into post-modernity. And really there is a difference, but sometimes very little difference. It is not modernism, although some argue modernity is modernism. I know this sounds complicated. Stay with me. I will explain. Modernism is all the lovely modern things you have from IT and computers, and and they can be very helpful to the very phones that you hold in your hand and the smartphones, etc., etc., etc. And some people say, well, that's part of modernity. Modernism uh, we like to have our aircon when it was too hot there. It's, it's not very often we have to use aircon in our cars in Northern Ireland, but it was nice to have it if you had it in your car. It's good to have modernism when we get into a nice car, we switch on a light and the light bulbs uh, give us light in the room which we're in. All of those things are good and there is good in some of the other things too. So please don't think I'm slating everything all in one go. But modernism with the things that your children and I and you and others hold in their hands like the smartphones, while it's very, uh, it can be very good and it is good for society in the sense where we can contact one another easily, yet sometimes we can contact one another too easily. And sometimes we can even see a, a, a small village of a world, a globalization that people didn't really think was being globalized. We see things that are online that could never have been in a newspaper or written in a book and published, but yet being allowed to be online. We see the depths of depravity and of human nature. And what it does is even with the the media, the social media, it can now 
pollute the mind of all people, but from young people right up through television to the programs they watch, that comes from modernity into post-modernity, where now they are living a life where social issues are different. Let me explain a little further. So modernity. Modernity, central to the teaching of modernity, there was a man, he was a French philosopher in the 1600s. And his name was René Descartes. And he thought that if he was to meditate enough, and so his writings are called the Meditations, and they're called Descartes' Methodic Doubts. He thought if he keeps doubting every single thing, every thought that comes to his mind, doubt it, he says. Every teaching, doubt it. Everything you hear, doubt it. That if he keeps doubting, he will eventually come to the truth. This was the idea of his philosophy. And he is known as the father of modernity. Stay with me. In 1931, Descartes' um, modernity had risen again. And we always had unbelief. We always had the sinner. We've had it from the book of Genesis. We've had it from the fall in the garden. We've always had it. We've always had those who deny God, but it's in cultural issues where the whole culture seems to be turning against God. And the idea is to doubt God. That's where it all goes back to. That if I can doubt there's a God, then I don't have to answer for my sin. And if we can, as a society, take God out of society... And if we can, as it were, program the minds of young people that there is no God, then that society will eventually come through modernity into postmodernity and start to gather into groups. That's the idea of it. Let me go a little further with you. It transforms the concept of truth and certainty from one whose guarantor is no longer God. So the earth's guarantor through the word of God is almighty God. And if we can doubt him enough it is, then he no longer exists. Now we know that no matter who doubts him or denies him or does not believe in him, he still exists. But the modernity movement is this, that people start believing their own lies and it's it's called a deceivership. It comes from the deceiver who we read about in Genesis chapter 3 who deceived the woman, beguiled her. The Lord said in verse 14 unto Eve, What is this thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And so we know this is where sin came and sin brought forth death. But in the the, the Descartes method of doubt. And I am quoting from some of the, it's a lot of heavy reading and I've tried to edit it just for this little bit. And I quote, he determined to test everything to see if it is true. Now you might say that's okay and it is all right. But it means every single thought. And every single thought, he doubted it in his own mind. Everything. Are you living? Doubt it. Do you even fully exist? Doubt it. Do you come to the truth of your existence? He started to doubt every single thing in life. 
He started to doubt, was this world a real world? Is it another realm? He started to try and work these things out until he doubts and he doubts and he doubts and he doubts until God is no longer in the equation because, first of all, he must get rid of the Creator in order to doubt all other things. That's what's happening in our society. Now, stay with me. It sounds okay, but it leads to the theory. Listen. And this is his writing, that he comes to the idea that I am, he says. The only thing that I know now is real is me. I am, he says, so there's no God. And since I am, then I exist, he writes. And I think, therefore, because I think, therefore, he says, I am. I am God of my own life. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The serpent said unto Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And he says in verse 4, Ye shall not surely die. Verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. So really modernity started at the garden. But it was formulated by Descartes. Now listen, this is his own finding, so stay with me. It started when he then started the existence of God. Claims himself to be, I am the only one to exist according to his mind. He believed that he was introduced through suggestion that God does not exist and that all our experiences are produced in us by an evil demon. That was his own writings and his own findings. He says, there is no God. I am the God of my life. I'm like many God. I can't trust anyone nor anything nor any other thought. So it's all about me. And then he says, I believe this is from an evil demon. And he was right. And he was right. Listen, we're not finished. He believed that the world and its events and its timings and its mathematics and all the things that the world revolves around was false. He says a demon controlled my mind. He reached the point of what he called total deception. Total deception. And the serpent, the devil, comes to Eve and says, you'll not die. You'll be as God, and he just doesn't want you to be as God. And then he comes to her, and he beguiles her, he deceives her. And we see that across the board in the unsaved. And what happened was, we had the age of reasoning around the time of Descartes. He was around 1600 to 1641, and his meditations he had written down. And in meditation number six, he writes, it turns out, that he finds himself so deep with the demon that he must retrace his steps to stop doubting the doubts. And he finds out when he backtracks, and thankfully, there is a God after all. Meditation number six. So this is formulated, taken 1931. The Second World War comes after the Second World War. What people call goes into the postmodernism. But from all through, we had the, the French Revolution. 
republicanism in its uh, form of rejecting a, a, a monarchy set up and designed by God is also from this era. Now you stay with me because you're going to see what's happening in Ulster tonight. You'll see what's happening in Ulster tonight. Why do you think all of these groups gather together and support one another, whether it be an abortion group or an LGBT group or, or the republicanism? Why do you think they support one another? Because it all comes from modernity. It's the same spirit behind it. Please stay with me. For example, modernity's central issue is the emancipation from religion, first of all. Especially the repudiation of the Bible-believing Christianity and their belief in a one true living God. Sounds familiar today, doesn't it? So after the Second World War, around that time, modernity, they say, failed, so comes to an end, and now post-modernity kicks in. What happens? I believe it. Well... I believe a lot of it is comes from the same vein. It is a, another extension of the same branch, as many others do. But listen, what happened? In the 50s, we had, and I know people, oh, sure, it's only music, the rock and roll revolution. We had the free love of the 60s and the 70s, and the sexual revolution comes from it. That's all from modernity. It's all from Eden. And we see that, that, that Nimrod builds the tower to heaven. All the false religion comes from it. All the false worship comes from it. And it goes right through the Bible. Now it is formulated and it's given to society. It goes into a culture. And the place is filled with God deniers and God haters. So anti-ideological ideas come from it. For example, the feminist movement. Movement. Now, folks, I'm all for women on equal pay. I'm all for. I have no problem with that. Honestly, I think that I think that's just right. The feminist movement is something different. The feminist movement is a usurping the the the, the natural role of men and women. The, the feminist movement is now coming to somewhere else in society that. It becomes stronger that men are now denigrated. From the Adam and Eve, the woman from the man's side, and it's taken from that now, and it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what God said here. And then we also get the racial equality movements. I'm all for racial equality, by the way. But it's the movements now that arm themselves to, to fight against other movements. Or it's the, the racial equality movement that is where people are afraid to speak unless they're called racist. And it's not about having to talk anymore, even being, even being equal anymore. It's about overtaking now. It comes from modernity. Here's another one for you. The gay rights movement. Now we see it's not about uh, men uh, and women and their lives, how they are with each other in their private homes. It's now marching and having week-long festivals in the face of everybody else. It's now when you and I say the Word of God says this, it's in our children that's being taught, and now pedophilia is now being classed as a sexual uh, 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 a preference too. 
And what it is, it's the, it's the, the, the society being brought down through modernity and post-modernity. And we find that with the, the LGBT movement and so on, you find the Greens. Why are the Green Party anything to do with them? Do you ever wonder that? Because it spins off modernity. It's all, it's all the fruit of the same branch. It's all the fruit of the same branch. We have anarchism, anarchism and the peace movements. The hybrid of them being anti-globalization movements. And some of them, at the, I believe a lot of these people have no idea where this comes from and they don't know the spirit that's behind it. I believe a lot of these people are just blinded by it and they feel or sense or think this is the right thing to do. I don't believe they're really so demonically oppressed and, and possessed that they all believe it and know it and do it in badness. I don't believe that. But I do believe that there's a spirit behind it that is driving it to say there is no God. Notice this. Even in the heterosexual world. It's nothing now to go and sleep with many people. It's nothing now to go and get drunk and be on drugs. Listen, I was part of that. And it's in society. And once you and I, as Bible-believing Christians, speak about this and stand up against this, do you know what happens? You see, you're the bigot. You're the racist. You're the fundamentalist. You're the one that's wrong for good is evil and evil is good. And now you and I are the ones who believe in a God, a sky fairy, as some of them would say. We're attacked should something be even online. And you know what happens? The church, the church of Jesus Christ, the blood-washed church, are all starting to be drawn into it, to appease it, And it's being drawn by a demonic spirit. Now you understand where I'm speaking of modernity and post-modernity. You see, the idea is, you know, you have the anti-fascists, but the anti-fascists are now the fascists. (laughs) The, The idea of this is to Cast out every idea of God. So let's just look at the book of Genesis for a few minutes. I might need to do two weeks at this. This is quite a big subject. And this is line one from my word that I've written. The book of Genesis, as we know, is the book of beginnings. Everything starts here. It is the seedbed of the Bible. So if we can dig up the lovely seeds of the Word of God throughout the whole Scripture, things will fall. That's their idea. There is no God. Now, if we can tell you there's no God enough, and we can, and so the idea of modernity is prove it. Prove it. And I'm sure many of you have come across that. Prove it. And how do we prove that there is an invisible God who is sovereign and supreme over all things? How do we prove that to an unbelieving world? Well, you see, one, we can't accept the Holy Spirit, except the Spirit show them it. But when we get to the idea where they say, prove it, here's some things just 
to let you know the proof of it. That in this Bible, that in the Word of God, the prophecies that lay or lie within it that have been fulfilled. <laughs> Even the prophecies of the cross. Do you know the pro- the eight, I think it is offhand now, uh, to fulfill eight of those prophecies with one man who was the Lord Jesus? Do you know a, a, a mathematician and statistician? He had an idea and he says, I'm going to try and work out what is the chances of this happening with one man? And so he says, it's like getting a, a dollar and taking that dollar and putting a mark on it and bringing it to the center or somewhere in Texas and setting it somewhere in Texas and piling Texas, the whole of Texas, the massive, massive state of Texas, filling it with dollars, two feet tall, the whole covering of Texas, blindfolding a man and saying, I go find the dollar. says, if that is the chances of one man that Christ had done on the cross of fulfilling those prophecies. The prophecies of the nations, the prophecies of our nation, the prophecies that are fulfilled and are going to come that we trust and believe in, they all proved to an almighty creator God who's in control and sovereign over all things. Another thing we can look at is the validity of the Scripture and who spoke off them in the Scripture. We're told that in the book of Genesis, it speaks of the origin of the universe. Do you know this morning, they sent up another shuttle or another rocket to go a probe to go closer to the sun, that they might find out more about the beginnings of the origins of the universe? I could have saved them billions of dollars. I'll take you to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. (laughs) It's as simple as that. The origin of the universe, the order of its complex, the solar system, its atmosphere, the beginning of life, of beginning of man and of woman, of marriage between a man and a woman, all instituted in here. And you see, if we can get rid of God we can then get rid of the institution of marriage. And many of the church are coming alongside and saying, we stand with these people because we want to be Christ-like. I want to tell you, if you want to be Christ-like, stand in the word of God. And then we have the evil mentioned, the origin of the evil, of sin, of death, of the fall, the origin of government, and then of culture, twisted culture, the origin of religion. The origin of religion, you know, isn't in the Tower of Babel. The origin of religion isn't even when Cain kills Abel for offering the sacrifice. That's not the origin. You know where the origin is? It's in our reading, Genesis chapter 3. And verse 7 It says, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So now, false religion comes. Why? They tried to cover their sin by themselves. They tried to atone for their own sinning. 
And so man comes with religion. Religion spins off in this direction. Religion spins off in that direction. It gathers again at the Tower of Babel where Nimrod is, but God scatters them and God calls a man called Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, the sons, then the nation, then the kingdom, then the scattering, now the gathering, sends forth Christ. The gospel goes out and you and I are here because of what Christ has done. Here we find that nations are mentioned, the table of nations in the book of Genesis. And also, as we said, the covenants, the Noah covenant of the rainbow because God had destroyed the earth, sent the rainbow and set it in the skies that he would not flood the earth again. Then the Abrahamic covenant... I have made thee a father of many nations before he even had a son. So the book of Genesis is referred to no less than 165 times in the New Testament. Did you know that? No less than 165 times. And many try to label the book of Genesis, you see, as allegories and myths or tales. Because if they can do that, then in the beginning God created is not true. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth is not real. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and they can deny it, which is the very fountain of modernism. Or modernists. Notice this. The Lord Jesus referred to or quoted at least seven times from the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. The Lord Jesus himself. I think I believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam, the first man, the Adam race, the seed of Adam, the man Adam, He is mentioned and referred to in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 8. So Moses mentions him. Then a chronicler mentions him in 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 1. Then Job mentions him in chapter 31 and verse 33. Then in the New Testament, Luke mentions him in chapter 3 and verse 38. The Apostle Paul mentions him in Romans 5 and verse 14. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 and 45. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And Jude, our Lord's half-brother, mentions him in his one chapter epistle in verse 14. Now here's what I'm saying. If Adam is a myth, if Adam is just an allegory as some people try to put it, And modernism say, well, at most it's just a story from bygone years. It's a myth. It's an allegory. And those of the church who are modernist teachers in the church, they have to then deny the miraculous because they don't believe that God made something out of nothing. So there's no miraculous. So what they do is they say, well, you know, it's just an allegory and we'll all die and we'll find out when we get there, some of them say. Adam is not a myth. If Adam was a myth or an allegory, listen, 
then there's no need for a second Adam. I'm going to say it again. Please get it. If Adam is a myth or an allegory, then there's no need for a second or a last Adam, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's no first Adam, and his fall to death, that is spiritual death, and eventually death in his flesh, then there's no need for a last Adam to die for us that we might be brought into life. You see why they're trying to take God out of the equation now? Because then they can deny their sin. They can deny it's their fault. They have no one to stand up with or to before with Almighty God. And Adam says, listen, God, the woman that you gave to me. So now in society, when anything goes wrong, even those who do not believe even those who don't even think there's a God, who deny there's a God, who reject there's a God, the first thing they'll say to those like you and I who believe in God, well, where was God? Where is God when this one dies? Where is God when that one's ill? Where is God when that cancer is set in? Where is God when this one has been sick? Where is God when there's been those bombs dropped? Where is God when they're cutting off people's heads? Where is God? I'll tell you where he is. He's put outside society. He's put outside the lives of men and women. Modernity has set in as a culture. Now post-modernity has been grafted or taken out of it. And all of our young ones are being taught from the cradle to the grave. There is no God. Alternative, alternative lifestyles. Alternative living. That's whether it's homosexual, heterosexual, and they now call it A and so many A to Z sexuals. I don't know or so many. There's a new one every day. No matter what it is, no matter what it is, in the beginning, God made them male and female. So they take it from the word of God and they deny the God who is the creator of all and they say, since there's no God, Adam's an allegory. There is no sin. I am the God of my own life. Does it make sense now? And all it took was more to be pushed out. Listen, the First World War, modernity. First World War, we had the Bolsheviks slayed millions of Christians. Communism. Trotskyites. All came. Karl Marx. Marxism spread its wings into communism, uh, then the, the far left labor and liberal, and it comes into society. And now you see where we are, don't you? <laughs> and it's morphed all the way through, and all of it stems from saying, there is no God. Now, I know there's Christians in various groups. I know that. But the spirit behind the movement, that is the the... the the strength of it, according to the one whom they all claim is the father of modernity, the spirit, according to him, is an evil demonic spirit.
This then brings the idea that Adam, man, mankind, can even have good intent and you can save yourself if there's a God. There's different branches of it, if there's a God. And so they work and they labor, they make their fig leaf aprons to cover and atone for their own sin, which can never cover and atone for their sin. And so when God himself clothes himself in flesh and comes down in the person of his son to go to the cross, what happens? He dies. And they deny the Christ. In fact, they hate him. They deny him. And they call him the bastard son of Mary. So now you see why it's so aggressive in the year 2018 because it's growing strength. This monster. Do you ever wonder why? I can't speak for all, so I'm not. But it seems like to be en masse. The LGBT movement are so pro-abortion. What's that got to do with each other? Do you ever wonder why? I'll tell you why. Because it's the same spirit. Do you ever wonder why the Green Party are so for all of these things as well? Do you ever wonder why they all get together and protest and can stand one with another? Here's another thing. Do you ever wonder why Sinn Féin does it? Because of their form of republicanism is from modernity. There's no authority to rule over us. We are the people, the God of our own lives. They are Marxists through and through. And don't you be fooled other ways. Now you see why they all join together. It is for votes, by the way. But it's more than that. They spawn from the same root. Turn with me as I close this up tonight to Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5. If they can say that the book of Genesis is a myth, allegories or whatever way, get the first thing they want to do is deny God exists, which means there is no judgment. They don't need justice. They are the I am, the small g God that the devil spoke of in Genesis 3. And so you see that. Live how you like. Be your own self. It's your own identity. It's all this. It's that. It's all about you, you, you. Isn't that true? You you see that? That's what it is. This is where this stems from and spawns from. Genesis chapter, pardon me, Romans chapter 5, please. Let your eye run down. To verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, by death and death by sin, so death passed in all men, for that all have sinned. And in saying that, every single one of us were in a category to do with that. To one sense, shape, form, or another. So we were saved. 
For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Let me just briefly tell you what that means. That that from Adam fell, there was a law. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so death came from then. Men started to die. There was a separation from God and men. So it was already there, Paul is saying. He says, but the codified law didn't come until it came in Israel through Moses. And now it says, look, here it is. Here's what God expects of thee. What does God want from you, O man, woman? What does he want from you, Israel? Here's the commandments, he says. And they got worse, and they rose up to eat, and to play, and they got drunk, and they had wild-fueled orgies, and all this sort of stuff. Uh, Exodus 32. So notice this. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgressions. And what he's saying here is that Adam was real. The fall was real. The death that came was real. And, and, and Paul is saying this. Listen, folks. He's saying the very sin that was in Adam, you and I now own it. You and I have received it. But the thing is, men and women don't want to know it. Like Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, sin is a brat that nobody wants to own. It's not my sin. I'm all right the way I am. Don't tell me about Jesus. Oh, the blood. Oh, oh no, don't mention that. Notice what he goes on to say. is the similitude of Adam's transgressions, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so is also the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more from the, through much more the grace of God and by by the gift of grace, and the gift by grace, pardon me, which is by one man Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. Here Paul is saying that one man caused the death, now there's one through grace, unmerited favor. He says you can be saved. Verse sixteen. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the free gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. That's Adam. We're all condemned in Adam. But the free gift is of many offenses to justification. That's in Christ. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here, every single one of us, listen, there's great odds, you know, if you want to go, and I don't bat, so please don't get me wrong, I'm saying it as a figure of speech. If you want to go to the boogies and bat whether you're going to die or not, should Christ tarry, I'm going to put my money on it. The human race will die. 100 out of 100 will die. Should Christ tarry. 100 out of 100 We'll go to the grave, should Christ tarry. But what Paul is saying here was, abundant grace came in the person of Christ. Abundant grace came and hung and bled and died on the cross. Abundant grace came and poured out his own precious blood that you and I might live through him. That's what Paul is telling us. It's not by your fig leaf religion. 
It's not by your going to church or even coming to CET as much as we love to see you. It's not by that. It's by grace through faith in what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. And notice this. Verse 18, therefore by the offense of one judgment came. That's Adam, the offense of one. Upon all men to condemnation. You see, they're already condemned. The unsaved, whoever they are, whatever strain of life they're in, they're already under condemnation. We don't need to condemn people. We can preach the truth and warn them of a a judgment to come. Of course we can. But we don't need to condemn people. You know why? Because they're already condemned. Every day when they think they're their own gods and they're living their own life and doing their own thing and going their own way and there is no God because modernity has told them it, they're already condemned in the eyes of God. But he says, I have sent forth my son that you won't be condemned. Listen, John writes in John chapter 3 and verse 17. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world but in that the word through him might be saved. Verse 18, he that believeth on him, on the Lord Jesus, he that believeth on him is not condemned. condemned. (laughs) Listen, he that believeth not, the Son of God is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, they're all condemned. They're all walking. They're all... uh, I was in Belfast recently and I was thinking about these things and, and I've seen young people and I've seen them walking around the town and older people too, but there's a lot of them and, and I could see them walking and with every step that those young people were taking and they knew what they were doing, where they were from and the places they were coming out of, all I could think of was another step closer to hell. Another step closer to the grave. Another step closer to the judgment of God. Another step closer in Adam they are and not in Christ. That's all I could think of. With every step they took. And listen, there's some people in here, you may take one more step and you'll find yourself already there. And you can Bible deny all you want. And you can God blaspheme and kick out Christ all you want. But you're only one step, one breath away from being in his presence before him as a judge. I'm a backslider, Ken. Well, it's time you came back to him. Because you could be one step You're losing your reward, friend, I'll tell you. And you could be one step away from standing before your Savior and you will be ashamed. As Adam was ashamed, he says, we hid ourselves because we were naked and we're afraid. Don't you think that you're going to stand there and you're not going to be afraid before God? You're going to be standing there before the Holy One of Israel. You're going to be standing there before Almighty God Himself and the glory around Him and Christ the One who sitteth on the throne of judgment. And you're going to sit there whether you're unsaved or whether you're saved, you will sit at the beam of seat of Christ for reward or loss. 
And there's backsliders who are going to be so ashamed. There's going to be, it's the beam of seat is the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment, by the way, for sinners and for the unsaved. But you, Christian, you will stand before the beam of seat of Christ and there will be some beamers at the beamer. Red faces. Red faces. Like Adam, we hid ourselves because we were naked. The loss of the innocency. Listen, God says, Who told you you were naked? How do you know that you need saved? Who told you? Well, I've never heard the gospel before. Oh, yes, you did, because you were in CET one time. You were such and such, you were here, you were there, a street preacher, wherever it may be. And God will bring it up before you. Notice this as we round this up and close it for this evening. Notice, for by one man's... Let's go to verse 18. Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, that's the righteousness of Christ... By the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. The free gift of righteousness and justification upon all men does not mean every single man, whoever they are, whatever they do, whatever they're from. It doesn't mean that. It means all who come to him and are in him. For as by one man's disobedience. Would you say disobedience? disobedience. Would you say it again? For as by one man's disobedience. Now, let me just break this word down for you. The word disobedience is a word, parakul. And it comes from two words, para, akul. Para, akul. So together it's parakul. Para means alongside of. Alongside of. For example, a parable comes from the word paraballo, along throwing something down alongside of in order to make a comparison with. Jesus talked in parables and they had a meaning. Thrown alongside. Paraclete is the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside to help. So the para means alongside of or beside. And akul means to hear. Now in the negative sense, this gives the idea of Adam in our reading tonight, in the cool of the day, walks with, walks with God. God himself comes alongside Adam, as it were, speaking into his ear. Adam, of all the trees of the garden, thy mess freely eat thereof, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is in the midst of the garden, thou mayest not eat thereof for the day in which thou eatest thereof. Thou shalt surely die. That's the idea of it. He spoke alongside him. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day. He was alive unto God. And the idea is he didn't listen. He disobeyed and and death came. I talking to someone who's failing to listen when God is speaking tonight? I talking to someone who's failing to listen when God is speaking to you tonight? For by one man's disobedient, many were made sinners. So by the obedience. Would you say obedience? obedience. Would you say it louder? Obedience. Now it's good to be obeying the Lord. 
The word here, obedience, is in relation to the last Adam, or the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a word that, it's called hupakuo. So hupo means under, to uplift, to be willing, to come under something. Like you'd prop something up, and the kuo then is to hear. Hupakuo. Christ came to do his Father's will. Lo, I am come in the volume of the book that is written of me, he says, to do thy will, O God. He came and he upheld the law. He obeyed his Father, every jot and tittle, and he carried it the whole way to the cross. Does that make sense to you now? He obeyed his Father. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Adam falling in the garden. There is an almighty God. God willing, we'll look at it next week. There is an almighty God who meets with Adam. Now, if that's an allegory, we don't need Christ. We don't need him. If it's an allegory and there's no God, then we'll just be miserable and all die. But there is a God. And there is a Savior. And he came for you and I. And grace abounded over... Listen, we talk about sin. Sinning does not make you a sinner. Do you know that? I'll say it again. Sinning does not make you a sinner. Rather, you sin because you are a sinner. It's in your nature. I'll tell you this wee story. I've said it before and people make fun at me, but it's a wee illustration that stuck with me and it's so simple. And I'll get another ribbon for it, but sure, here we go. So one day, there was a scorpion comes to the riverbank. He doesn't know how to get across the river for he can't swim and he'll surely drown. And along comes a frog. Excuse me, Mr. Frog, says the scorpion. Would you give me a lift to the other side of the riverbank? The frog says, ah, you think I'm stupid. You'll get on my back and you'll put your stinger in me. You'll kill me. The scorpion replies, Mr. Frog, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I will not. I'll be just so glad to get to the other side. Please give me a lift over to the other side. And so the frog says, is this a promise from you? I promise, says the scorpion. And he gets on his back and he's taking him and he just gets to the other side as he's approaching the bank and the scorpion takes his tail with the sting and he drives it into the very frog's back. And he injects every bit of poison that he has into him. Jumps off the frog and onto the riverbank and turns around looking at him. The frog says, why? You promised you wouldn't do it. Why? And the frog turns to the scorpion and says, I'm sorry, I just can't help myself. It's in my nature. You see, that is every man and woman in Adam. That's Adam's race. You can't help yourself. We Sinning does not make us a sinner. 
we sin because it's already in our nature we are sinners. You can't help yourself. So in modernity, if they can erase this, there's no inherent sin in me. Oh, you're just away in the past days, bygone years. And they throw out that which society was built upon, the Word of God, and they start saying, there is no God. And so their groups come and they morph into what they are, but yet they get together, having no common core whatsoever but modernity to stand against the Word of God. Church, blood-washed, beloved, let's keep standing and trusting in the Savior because he's coming back again. And he's coming for a glorious bride. May God bless his word to us tonight. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Amen.